All right, guys, welcome back to the Iowa Adrenaline Podcast. Got a really cool episode for you guys tonight. Uh, me and Marshall, we sit down and talk about October bow hunting, and uh, we had a really good cold front go through this weekend, and so hopefully some of you guys got out there. I got out there, saw a lot of deer, um, had some good action, but nothing big and not too many bucks, and I felt like I was sitting for some pretty good spots, so um, just need to get some more intel, but... Hopefully you guys can take something away from this episode and uh, maybe get a big one down here in October. So hopefully you enjoy the episode and remember to uh, like and share and let other people know if you like the episode. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Iowa Adrenaline Podcast. Uh, down in my basement tonight, finally got Marshall back here. And uh, so this is the first time we've done the podcast in person and not over kind of whatever app this is we use so hopefully it goes a little better um it's gonna be cool having you know just conversation face to face and uh got some cool stuff to get into tonight um gonna talk about kind of our goals for the season overall well uh for bow season and because that's starting this weekend right yeah, thanks this weekend yeah and unfortunately i don't know if i'm gonna be able to go out um, I don't know if Marshall is. I think you got some duck hunting plans. Yeah, I got to go duck hunting this weekend. It's, it's it's big duck opener north of thirty. So the weather don't look great. So that's, no, I'm that's not why I'm not like you know going balls to the wall. But I was I was planning on going out, but uh, some stuff came up. So gonna go do that this weekend. But I think the next weekend for sure I'm gonna be hitting it hard. Yeah. So and we've never been huge on going in October when the when there's not a major cold front. No, but I mean, one of my goals for this year is I really want to kill an October buck. Yeah, and we want to pattern that's something that we're planning on trying to do. And I've put a lot of work in on some public land. Yeah. And you know, pieces that I'm not worried about burning out or you know, going in when the conditions aren't perfect and and I feel like I can be aggressive on those, you know, without burning up, you know, our spots but the thing is is, you know you feel bad when other you're hunting with other people and then you go in there and the conditions are perfect you know and you're busting deer and you know you want your your buddies to have a lot of success too and you feel bad kind of pushing the deer off and so but i think i think i'm gonna hit the public hard in october and if we get some cold fronts i'm not going to be afraid to dive into some of our spots where we've gotten some pictures of some good ones well i think you should probably talk a little bit about those pieces of public that you put those cameras on. Because, I mean, we look for pretty specific things when we're looking at our public. Uh, you know, especially for more centered towards that October hunting and not so much the rut. So a lot more on food, a lot more focusing on where the bucks are bedding versus the does, that sort of thing. Yeah, and this summer first time i've run trail cameras on public ground and surprisingly i mean we haven't checked the one for probably close to over a month now but so far the other two are still intact and uh got some really good pictures of a bunch of the one piece had a ton of deer in it and a couple decent bucks you know i mean nothing huge but one one shooter i think that i would shoot and I slipped in there to check that camera last weekend, actually. And the sign was just, it was nuts. I mean, I come in and I could see, it was kind of like it was laid out for me. It was almost too easy. 
because there was a big standing cornfield, and this t piece of timber butts up to it, and you could see where these deer were funneling out of this ridge, out of the thick timber, and crossing this gap in the fence and going out to hit that corn. So I just followed that back, found a really nice acorn flat, acorns everywhere on it, and the itchweed was just annihilated. There wasn't any left. And I'm like, well, a month and a half ago when I set this camera, you couldn't even hardly walk through here. Yeah, so you know there's been a hell of a lot of traffic through there, and I think we've both talked about how this acorn crop this year is going to be something like we've probably never seen, you and I personally. Not, I mean, it's a, it's they're dropping around here in Iowa, and it's kind of weird because in Ohio, I follow some guys from there, and they said it's extremely spotty. And I and I do, I think it has a lot to do with we've had a couple hard winters in a row, so you get those trees preparing, you know, and trying to build up that energy because it's extremely, uh, it, it's extremely difficult for those trees to produce that amount of fruit. And so you got those hard winters, and then you got a dry year. Okay, well, those trees are feeling they need to drop some acorns. And this year, they are really putting them down. Everywhere that we've been, all across Iowa, it's been this way. Yeah. E even in Dad's young trees. I mean, yeah. Dad's trees are, oh, 15 years and younger. 15 years down to five years. And they, every single one of them is just loaded down with acorns. Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a big acorn year, but I've seen a lot of times if you have a big acorn year, it's almost hard to narrow it down sometimes because acorns are dropping everywhere, and those bucks and can feed you know wherever they want basically in the timber. Yeah. But back to my story, I went into this flat, and obviously this flat was just getting hammered, and I really didn't poke around too much in it because my camera was kind of deep in the bedding, and. I went down there, checked it. I busted some deer out. I could see a few deer getting out ahead of me. It was too thick to really tell what they were. Um, got the camera and got out of there. But on that on that oak flat, there was rubs everywhere. And, I mean, a few of them were, were decent size. Not almost like they weren't from taking their velvet off. Like, they're start, there's a nice buck in there, and he's starting to kind of mark, okay, this is my area. This is where I want to run. Yeah. Which is... Pretty early. I mean, I don't know that I've seen that many rubs that early on that big of trees before, which was kind of interesting to see. Well, and I've seen the last couple of weeks, they're definitely out of their bachelor years. They've broken up, and now that they've broken up, they're starting to reestablish their territory. Just from driving around? or Yep, driving yeah. around. I did a couple walks, and everything I'm seeing has been singles. I haven't seen bucks together. Although, this morning, when I was glassing out back, I think I saw a hot doe. Really? I, yep. I had a doe come out of the cornfield, and she walked down this waterway down to her bedding. And in increments of probably 20 minutes, she had four bucks that followed the exact same path as her. And every single one of them was sniffing the entire way that they went. And they followed her, they followed her path exactly to her bedding. So, she might be an early one that's coming in. Yeah, and that does happen. I mean, we've seen it before. I mean, and there's late ones, too, because I got a trail cam picture of a doe on this public piece, and it looks like she has a fawn in her, yep. like she's about to pop. Yeah. And from what I've heard is if they don't get bred, they'll keep coming in. Keep cycling. Keep cycling. And if those bucks have antlers on, I mean, they'll they'll breed them. Yeah. 
And I mean, maybe even if they didn't have antlers, I don't know how all that works. But well, I think even two years ago, we had pictures of a dope bean bred in January. Yeah, that was. I think it was. Yeah, it was two years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that piece, that sign I found. Um, I'm gonna try to hit that early, and from what I understand, I don't. I mean, we don't have a ton of experience hunting in bigger timber. We really don't, just no. because. You know, we're in southwest Iowa, and a lot of the stuff we have are is just, you know, nasty draws, um, hedge groves, uh, cedar groves, CRP edges, and all that stuff. So we don't have a ton of experience hunting in the big timber, and a lot of these pieces I've been scouting kind of are bigger timber. and But that was something I looked for, especially for October, because what I know is, like, from our experience hunting in October, especially if the weather's not ideal, it's really hard to get those bucks in daylight when the food is that close to them. Yep. I mean, when you're when they're bedding, you know, 50 yards off the food, they don't have to get up until dark to eat, you know. But yep. when I think in those big timbers like settings, they're going to get up earlier, feed on acorns while they go out to the ag fields. And if you have ag fields further away, it's going to take them deer a lot longer to get there and a lot longer to get back to their bedding too. And I'm almost thinking you could slip in on some deer in the morning in October. I know a lot of people don't hunt the moors in October, but some of my best hunts where I've seen the most bucks and had the most action have been mornings in October. Yeah. And I think the fronts have a lot to do with that because you get a big cold front cold coming fronts. through. Yeah. So then they're going to be out there eating a hell of a lot longer. I was I was wishing season was in this morning because it was, what, 33 degrees or something here. And I did see some spots of frost um, when I got over closer to the hills. And all those deer I saw moving this morning, I, I probably saw 20 total deer this morning, and I was still seeing deer movement at 9.30. Yep. And a lot of that has to do with comfortability, too. So, I mean, on the public, they might not be as good of movement in the morning because of that, or it might be great. There hasn't been no one. I mean, from what I can see, there's no one going in there, you know. And, I, yep. and you know, that's a big thing, too, is I think these pieces – Especially around here. I mean, maybe, you know, over in southeast Iowa where the pressure's a lot more. I'm sure they get hammered in October now because, you know, all the hunting public videos and all of them bringing all that knowledge out and everything and showing that footage. But around here, I mean, stuff doesn't get hit in October near as much. And I think you can have a lot of – if you find a good one, that's the biggest thing on the public land, you know, is finding one you want to shoot because I'm, I'm looking for something something real big and I haven't seen anything that really trips my trigger on the public yet. But – I think a lot of those bow hunters that do hunt in October, a lot of them hunt the first week. I mean, they get those, oh, season opener jitters, just like a lot of the duck hunters, a lot of the pheasant hunters, everybody else, and the weather's nicer. So they go out that first week, and if the weather's not ideal, then they might not see much, and they don't go back out until the rut. They're not hunting it right either, a lot of them, because they hunt it the exact same way they would in the rut. You know, they're hunting funnels and... Or hunting on a field edge and these deer are not especially if you don't have a cold front they're not coming out to those fields in daylight hardly no. I mean, they just it's not happening so they're only focused on one thing really in, in october food food yeah you know it, food but it just totally switches but if you were after a particular buck yep it is the best time to kill them in my opinion because when november hits you don't know where the hell that deer is going to be. No. No idea. Especially if you're hunting land that isn't quite as good as your neighbor's. 
Yeah. Because that deer, he's going to go look for those does. And if you don't have the doe population, then he might not be on yours. No. But in the same way, I mean, the rut is kind of nice because you catch those bucks from the better properties slipping off, too. I mean, yeah, exactly. But, but it's a shit show. I mean, there's no there's no rhyme or reason to anything. And I, I think, I'll, I'll, I'll say it, the rut is almost 100% luck, in my opinion. It's putting in your time, sitting in the funnels, sitting in the good spots, and waiting for one to come by. Unless you have land that they're not leaving. Because if they're not leaving, then, just like you're saying, you still put in that time, but that target buck is more than likely to come past when you're there. But, just like I said earlier, if you don't have the primo land and that buck's been sitting there all summer and there's no does around, then it's a lot less likely that he's going to be coming past during the rut. Yep. But, I mean, we do have some, we do have some deer that we're interested in killing, so we can kind of transition to, we did our first card pull on the cameras, and we got some good ones. I mean, like I said, I mean, like we talked about in some past episodes, is we weren't going to get as aggressive with the cameras this year, and I'm still glad that we did that, but, I mean, we still picked up some nice bucks, and I think with these cold fronts we've had, I think we're going to have a few more that we're going to pick up on this next card pool. So. Yeah, definitely, especially as they reach out to their new ranges here in this next month. Yep. So we got a – the number one buck we got is we call him A-frame buck, and we have some history with this deer. I mean, not a ton, but – had a few encounters we got a video of them actually two years ago uh we were driving to i think you were driving to drop me off somewhere yeah i I think we're going to the river yep and driving to drop me off somewhere and here's this buck and he must have had a doe bedded in that ditch you know lock trying to lock her down and got some really cool video of her and maybe you've seen it if you follow our instagram page but um he's back again and We've always talked about hunting this little ditch and how we're like, oh, we always seem to kick a big one out of there. And we're like, well, screw it. Let's set a camera up there and see what happens. Well, we went in there, set the camera, and we cooked up a good buck. And it was kind of one of them deals where you couldn't tell quite what he was, but we just had a feeling it was a good one. And sure enough, I'm guessing it was him. And set that camera, and we got some good pictures of him, and he's a giant. Yeah, he is. He's a beautiful deer. And... I'll be the first one to admit, this is an overlooked spot that we definitely should have been hunting. So when we saw that deer, that was in peak rut. And just like we talked about earlier, uh, anything can happen in the peak rut. And we kind of played it off as of like, well, he probably ran this doe up here, up the river. He, I mean, he could be living miles away from us. We didn't really think much of it. And yeah, later in the year, we'd always kick out a big deer out of there. and It is. It's just an overlooked spot. And I think we missed an opportunity at this deer the last few years because I think he has a very small range. I think he's living in that ditch. Um, and I think he was bigger last year. Yeah. And he's at least seven years old. Yes. Because when we seen him, he, he had to have been five. I mean, he was huge. And now he's seven years old. And Bill Winky has said this, and I agree with it. As these deer get older, a lot of times, their home ranges shrink. You know, they get somewhere, they're super comfortable. And, I mean, when was the last time that ditch got bow hunted? 
Whew. Well, that would have been by our taxidermist probably 10 plus years ago. Yeah. And so he's not getting pressured there. There's, I mean, there's no pressure. He knows the spot. And I think he's a killable deer. And I think, I think we can slip in there early and even, even maybe in the rut because I don't think he's straying too far. I mean, I know the river's right there, but I think he's coming back there. Well, and, you know, we were talking about earlier, if the does aren't there, the bucks aren't, you know, are less likely to be there. And I, I agree with that statement. I'm not going to go back on what I said. But as the deer get older, they definitely become less interested in traveling for does. They like their home range because they feel safe, because they're secure, uh, because they're well hidden, got food, water, and everything they need. And just like people, their testosterone is starting to go down especially when they get to the age of this deer. So he might not go ranging for those does, and that, just like you said, will make him easier to kill. Yep, for sure. I'm, I'm real excited we picked him back up. Um, got some other good bugs, you know, in that 150, 160 class, but nothing nothing huge. Um, we did pick up one buck, but we only picked him up one time. Um, but I think he's in the general area. Yeah. I mean... It was a cold front kind of night. It was a front that was moving through. It was right before we got a big rain, and we picked up a ton of deer that night and picked him up too. And he just looks like some kind of weird, non-typical beast, maybe, but his body is just massive. Another, you know, probably seven, eight-year-old deer. Um, so he's he's another one I'm really interested in. Um, what are kind of your goals for this year, Marshall? I mean, uh, score-wise, age-wise, uh, what do you what are you looking to do? Because it's been, what, you didn't kill one last year, but you killed one the year before? Yep. So you got to be jonesing to, to get a get a shot off, don't you? You know, and I used to be a lot more than I am now. Um, I'm a lot more quality than I am quantity these days. Uh, age, he has to be five and a half plus. If I have a four and a half year old deer that is on the edge of Booner, I, I can't do it just because... And I passed on one. I passed on one last year. Uh, I can't do it because even though somebody else may shoot him, if I shoot him then, then he has no chance of becoming a bigger deer. None. So I, I give him the free pass. I, I'd say mine, my goal is five and a half plus. And honestly, if he's five and a half, I'd like a booner. But if he's older than that, then it then it really doesn't matter to me a whole lot. I like those old nasty brute deer. I just I can't get over them. Yeah, I mean I'm kind of the same way. Um, you know I mean, but my thing is is this summer, and you know now at the trail cameras, I think we have three deer that we've seen at least that I mean are definitely over that 170 mark. Um, and so I think that's kind of my goal. That was my goal last year going into the season and uh, didn't didn't pan out like I thought it would. And as it got later in the season, my standards dropped. And I think this year I'm really going to try to stick to those those standards, you know. Yeah. And I had I had a really nice eight last year. I, I had him at under 20 yards two different times and beautiful deer. I couldn't make him over four and a half. Couldn't make him over four and a half to save my life. And he's a great big eight point. I mean, he would have went 150 as an eight. Yeah. But 
super aggressive deer. Came into grunting once and rattling another time. And I had him dead to rights both times, but I I just couldn't I couldn't pull the trigger on something that could be bigger next year. Yeah. And I'm wondering if maybe that deer with the big brows we seen down in that beans wasn't wasn't him, maybe. I mean and if it was then it was good he didn't shoot it because he put on a ton of antler. So Yeah. Um we've got that one that I, I, I found a match set to and he was I think he was four and a half last year. Maybe he's three and a half. <sighs> he didn't really put on much this year. A couple kickers, a little bit more mass. He he's gonna be a deer that's on the edge. And like I told Ronan, it's gonna have to be an in the moment decision because I need to see what he looks like in November. Yeah. And also, I mean, the trail cameras can be very deceiving. I mean, we've we've had deer that. You know, we look at him on the show camera like, oh, I mean, doesn't even get our heart up or anything. And then we see him in person, we're like, holy shit. I mean, yeah, and then they, he's a stud. Yeah, and they score better yeah. than anything. Uh, my crossbow buck. Yeah. That's a good example of that. Injured my hand a few years back and had, had to get a crossbow permit. And it was about my prime time in the year. I always like late November when those old bucks are still out looking, but there ain't many does left. And he came in, and I shot him at like 10 yards. Great big eight point, I think, what, 153? Something, something like that. that yeah. I think he had six inch bases, big deer. Well, I'm going back through the trail cameras, and I realized that, well, shit, I had a trail cam picture of this deer from a month before, oh, probably half mile away. And he he didn't look like a 150-inch deer in those trail camp pictures. No. I mean, he just, he did not impress me in those trail camp pictures like he impressed me in the stand. Yeah. And he was a good deer. He was an old deer. He was. And he had, I mean, huge frame. Yeah. And you, you just couldn't tell from the pictures. So, yep. yeah, it's, I mean, a lot of it's in the, in the moment decisions, you know, for sure. And I'm kind of like you, though, I mean... I'd almost rather kill a seven-year-old, you know, mid one fifties, one sixty, just hog with huge mass and, you know, just a just a brute. I mean, that's what I'm looking for. That's what, you know, gets me going. So, see, in my mind, those deer have seen some shit. Those deer have bested hunters for almost over twice the normal age of a whitetail, the average age, and. I, I don't know. I don't think I can beat that trophy. I mean, of an of an old old deer. No, and I mean, it is. It's it's extremely hard to get an arrow on those deer. Oh, absolutely. And like, well, tell them about that six. I and I I was gonna get into that story, but I mean, it's not so much seeing them. That's the hard part. It's that last thirty yards. Yep. And with like a four and a half year old deer. I mean, I've gotten away with a lot of shit, you know, with a four and a half year old deer, and especially during the rut. But those big old deer that are six, seven, eight years old, I mean, even in the rut, they're careful, man. Yeah, they are. And a prime there's a reason they got to that age. Exactly. And a prime example is that we were hunting this, I mean, not necessarily hunting for him, but we had this huge six point. I mean, you could just, just a brood of a deer, one, I mean, one of the biggest body deer I've ever seen. 
and he was a bully buck. I mean, he was running a, you know, that huge one I killed, he was running him off. You know, I mean, he was running that area. And I had this real nice, probably 150-inch, uh, I think it was a nine-point come in, real tall, tight rack. He come in, and he got my wind, and I had him right out of the stand. I was kind of watching him. And he got my wind, and he t- turns and takes off. Well, when he turned and took off across the creek, I heard a snort wheeze. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I turn, and it's this big six-point. And he thought that deer was running from him, and so that's why he snort wheezed. So he's watching him, and then he realizes that he was spooked. You know, the, the you know, 150-inch deer was spooked. And he realizes that. He stops in his tracks, and I shit you not, he started looking through the trees. Had his, I mean, just picking it apart, and I watched him. He scanned probably 180 degrees. And right when he got to me, he did the head bob one time, calmly turned, and walked the opposite direction. And, I mean, didn't freak out, none of that, but he had me dead to rights, and I had him at 35 yards and needed to take a couple more steps, and then he just disappeared, never saw him again. So Yeah, and we might sound like we're contradicting ourselves a little bit because, I mean, we're talking about, you know, the knowledge of these old deer, and we said earlier that they become easier to hunt as they get older. And I think the key is there. They're easier to hunt. They're easier to pattern. They're easier to see. I don't, I wouldn't say they're easier to put an arrow into. Yeah. That's the difference. No. You might get sightings of this deer and, I mean, see him quite a bit and know his routes and everything, but it does not mean he's easier to get an arrow into. Yep. And that, I mean, that's another one of them reasons I switched from, back from the saddle to the stand because you have to be able to stay hidden. I mean, you got to have a backdrop and with that saddle, I felt like I was just getting skylined and that was the same situation. I was hunting out of a saddle in that hunt too. And I think he just skylined me. Whereas, you know, if I would have been in a stand, been in some more cover, you know, been able to sit more still, I think, you know, I, I probably would have got an arrow on that deer. And I mean, same thing. I mean, I had another one, kind of the same deal. I mean, same age class of deer and ended up not getting an arrow on him because I couldn't shoot to my weak side with the saddle. And, you know, I, I tried going for it when he got in close and, I mean, with those old deer, you're not going to get away with that, so. No, and what did Fred Bear say about the best camouflage? Sit still and be quiet. Sit still and be quiet. And do you feel like you could ever just sit still no. if on the saddle? No. Yep. No. And that's what we've found is that if something comes up on the side that you don't have your bow on, and they advertise it to be, oh, use the tree <laughs> as your camouflage, you know. You can't, you can't get away with that shit with a big old deer that close. You can't do it. Often. Often. Yeah. Maybe once in a while. Yeah. I never could. <laughs> so, take that with a grain of salt. But, yeah, I mean, we got some good deer to chase, like always. I mean, pretty lucky with the deer we get to go after. And, you know, I mean, if you guys aren't seeing the deer that you want to see and you're not having the opportunities... Go out there and find different spots, you know? I mean, it, it's gotten really, really hard to get knock-on-door permission um, on good stuff just because everyone leases out and, 
bow hunting is getting more and more popular, um, which is a good thing in a way, but also, you know, kind of negative because uh, it's putting, I, I feel like hunting's almost becoming pay to win. And I, I, I don't like that at all. Um, but, I mean, you still can find, you know, use your connections. Get out there, you know, if you, you know, your parents know someone and they have some land. I mean, that's a great way to get in there and and see what we can find. I mean, because if the deer aren't there, if something is not there that you don't want to kill, there's no point in sitting there all season and hoping something shows up, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to the same t- the same tactics that salesmen use. Good salesmen. Most people don't want you to sell, want them. Most people don't want you to sell something to them. They want someone to talk to. They want someone to be there. So if you can be that person, if you can help them out, you know, whenever they need, might need just a little bit of something, or just be there to talk to them, bullshit with them after work, that goes a long, long ways for people that don't give permission to anybody. For sure. And, I mean... I mean, we we do that kind of stuff all the time, you know. I mean, help out, you know, people around the farm, and you know, if they need need help getting a getting a calf out, you know. I mean, yep. I mean, how many times have we, you know, skipped a hunt or, you know, done something to go help out, you know, these people to give us permission? But I mean, that's the stuff you got to do. You got to build those relationships, and I mean, they're they're offering you something for nothing, and you have to give them something in return. That's the way I look at it, you yeah. know. And if you don't have the money, well, then that's probably your best option yep so i mean just something to keep in mind um i mean raise your goals every year i mean that's what that's what we've kind of done and you know we're to the point now and when you do that you almost have to be willing to accept that you might you might not get a shot at something you want to shoot yep and you know everybody's so antler crazy if you need me shoot a doe exactly shoot a doe I never understood, you know, the people that, you know, shot a two and a half year old buck. I mean, you know, 110, 100. I mean, if it, I mean, if it's your first deer, and I mean, no problem. But, I mean, we we live in Iowa. Yep. Raise your standards. Yep. I mean, and and what that's going to do, and I I think people are. I think it's it's slowly it, it's happening. Com- it's coming around. And I think we're getting bigger and bigger deer because of that. I mean, that's how you get consistent big deer in the area. I mean. Shoot the big ones and shoot those. Shoot what you want. That might be, I mean, the better way. Shoot something you're going to be proud of. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're proud of the 130-inch deer, that's great. That's awesome. If you're just shooting a buck just to shoot a buck, then that's kind of a different story, especially if you come out into the season and you're saying that you have these high standards. Shoot a doe if you need me. Yep. And we, I think we need to get better at shooting more does. Um, I think we, our doe population is higher than it should be. And, I, I mean, and that's that's negative, too. And my whole reasoning for not have been doing it is, you know, we've been in school, you know, and it we didn't have a place to, to take care of them. I mean, we had to be back at school. And, I mean, taking them to the butcher, I mean, that's a that's a big price tag. We just didn't have the money for it. So... But now, you know, I mean, we're both out of school, and I think I think I'm going to start shooting some more does, so. Yeah, and <clears throat> obviously, with the county that you're in, I mean, that changes too. Because if you, if you can only get an any sex tag, it makes it a lot tougher to shoot a doe. Yeah. Although I did hear today 
Um, in the county that we're in right now, they're not going to give out any doe tags this year. And a farmer went out and he was looking at his corn earlier this year and he saw that he had a lot of deer damage. So he went and talked to the DNR and said, you know, I've got all this deer damage. Is there anything that we can do? And the DNR was actually able to set him up with four years of 10 doe tags every year. You get 10 doe tags for the next four years. And those tags, as I understood it, don't take this for gospel. As I understood it, those tags could be allotted to anyone that had permission on that farm. Yeah. And that, that could be a path for you. If you have some sort of agriculture and you see that the deer are devastating your crops, but you don't have any doe tags, that could be a way to reduce your doe population. Talk to your local DNR officer. See what they can do for you. Yeah. I mean, and now that you brought that up, I mean, that's a great way to get permission, too. I mean, you know, you're in the in the bar, you know, and bullshitting with the farmers and stuff, and they're talking about all... The deer just destroying my corn. Be like, hey, I can take care of that for you. I help you out a little bit. I mean, we've got several pieces over, you know, just doing that stuff. And you know, like we said, the biggest thing is, you know, you got to have a conversation with them, build a relationship. So. Yep, and make sure you are in the right. Yeah. Don't let that farmer go out and buy you tags and then use his tags. Make sure you are in the right doing this. We're not. <laughs> I mean, we hate poachers more than anyone. Yep. And. To finish up tonight, I think we're going to talk about our our arrow setups because, you know, people get all gung-ho about their bows and, you know, put so much money in their bows, which, you know, you got to be accurate. But the biggest thing is, is that arrow is what kills that deer, not the bow. That arrow and your broadhead, that's what kill the deer. And I'm kind of going to go on a little rant here, and you can take it for what you want. Me and Marshall both have lost several very, very nice deer that probably would have been some of our biggest deer over shooting mechanical broadheads and cheap broadheads and arrows that weren't set up to penetrate through big deer. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, especially with how the bows are advertised now, everybody is so caught up on speed. Speed, 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 speed. I would say speed is important to a point. What you want is something that is going to hit that deer and continue to travel. You want that heavy kinetic energy because those light arrows, they say they have that kinetic energy, but they don't have the follow through once they uh, make that first impact. They don't, they don't have momentum. Yes. And, I mean, it's pretty easy to calculate what your kinetic energy is and your foot pounds a force are real tree uh actually has a calculator for it and we've used it to set up our arrows and you can plug in you know the type of bow you have your draw length um the poundage of your bow your arrow weight and it will tell you a rough estimate of what your kinetic energy is and now they say i think it's 40 foot pounds can kill a deer 35 35 yep that's what they say now, if you're like us, you're hunting, you know, in the Midwest, big deer. Corn and, fed. And you want, yeah, and you want to kill a big buck. A big buck in Iowa or anywhere in the Midwest 
is not the same animal as a two and a half year old doe or even a two and a half year old buck or three year old buck. It's not the same animal. No. Completely different game. Especially if you hit the shoulder. Especially if you hit the shoulder. And where we've gone wrong, I don't even know if it was so much our arrow weights. I think it was the broadheads we were shooting. And we were shooting mechanical broadheads. And I I mean, I'm never going to go back from shooting a cut-on-contact broadhead again. And I would say even the fixed blades that aren't cut on contact and just have the bleeder blades, you know, and a chisel tip, I wouldn't go with them either. So what what I'd compare that a lot to is a punch versus a slice. So you got a piece of meat and you whack it like Rocky, you're not going to go through the ribs, okay? But if you got a knife, that knife is immediately slicing through those ribs. And I think so much of that arrow momentum is lost either when you're opening up those mechanical blades or when you're not having a cut on contact fixed blade. Yep. And if you lose that, you don't get the pass-throughs. Absolutely. And I'm just going to tell everyone right now, if you're shooting mechanical broadheads, throw them fuckers away. Throw them away and go get... You can go get a pack for 40 bucks of the Magnus uh, Black Hornets or some sort of cut-on-contact broadhead at Bass Pro. And, you know, people say, well, they're not, they're, they don't shoot straight. They'll shoot straight. Your bow needs to be tuned, and you have to mess with the broadheads a little bit. I mean, you got to put a little bit of work in. But I'm telling you, if you don't throw them away, you're going to have a situation like we've had where you hit the shoulder or you hit a rib, and one blade opens up before the others, and you think you made a perfect shot, but that arrow kicked because one blade opened before the other, and now you got a one long hit, and you're going to have heartbreak. I mean, I'm just telling you, shoot what you want, shoot what you're confident in, but that's my two cents. Throw them away, cut on contact, broadhead, get it, shoot it. Um, at that point, I mean, obviously things still happen, but at least you know that you did what you could. Yeah, and I and I, I don't think tuning gets said enough. I mean, you have a lot of these people, which, nothing again, I understand people are busy. If you have a bow that you haven't shot all summer, you need to have that bow looked at, and you probably need to paper tune that bow. Because even just sitting there, that bow is changing. Just slightly. Just enough to where it's not going to give you that edge that you need. Exactly. And, yeah. I mean, if you're not shooting your bow, you should be. Yeah. I mean, consistently, because I, I got super busy with work. I started a new job and stuff, and I haven't been shooting as much. And I went out the other night, and, I mean, it felt almost foreign to me. I mean, I've been shooting every day during the summer, and I stopped for two weeks, and I'm like, man, I need to be out here on the range consistently. And shoot your bow during season two. I mean, we carry a target with us, and, you know, I mean, once a weekend, go out there and, and, I mean, before you hunt, shoot your bow. Make sure nothing's messed up because things can change. I mean, we've had our peeps come loose. I mean, and it can change your arrow by two foot. Yep. I mean, at 30 yards. And back to what you were saying about, you know, people saying that the fixed blades don't fly as straight. And we are talking about bow tune. Well, your arrow tune is almost just as important as your bow tune and we won't get too much into that today uh 
there, there's a balance to where you glue your knock, where you glue your insert, uh, and where you screw that broadhead in. And there's a balance to where if you roll that arrow fully set up, you should see no wobble in your broadhead. And if you paper tune that bow with that straight arrow and broadhead, if that arrow is flying straight at your paper tune, your arrow will never. I don't care how far you're shooting. I don't care about any of that crap. Your broadhead is not going to affect your arrow flight if it is properly tuned. Yep. And I mean, we're going to do, I think we're going to do a whole episode on um, arrows and, you know, setting up arrows to kill big deer. Yep. Um, but just wanted to touch on that. Shoot cut on contacts and you're going to have a lot more luck, especially on the big deer. So you don't want, you don't want that to be the reason you don't kill a deer. Man, because we've both done it and it's, it's heartbreaking. I think you make a good shot and track the deer for 50 yards you're not liking the blood and then you find your arrow that only got eight inches of penetration and so that and deer either only has one lung hit or none and you're feeling pretty shitty about yourself yeah and attached to the end of that arrow is a mechanical broadhead that's literally bent like a corkscrew yep so i think we'll end on that uh we kind of got on our soapbox there and yeah just and, a little bit and, of a rant but. and preached but um hopefully you guys took something away from the, this episode hopefully you got some good deer to chase this season and hopefully you're getting as pumped up as we are about getting out there and getting back in the woods i've been been waiting since turkey season ended that's all i've been thinking about so i'm excited to finally see if the work pays off and see if we can get something big down yep big bucks and cold fronts that's right all right Take your easy, guys.